0: We acknowledge the First Nations peoples of this land, the traditional custodians and pay our respects to their Elders past, present and future. We recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation and the importance of a voice to Parliament to ensure the sovereignty and self-determination of First Nation peoples is respected and upheld. We commit to working together towards a just and equitable future for all Australians.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, good day, and good morning, Blurtsters. Wherever you are around the world, you are listening to the new Blurt. Good evening, Blurtsters. Uh, Tonight we have a recorded interview with Maria Taflaga, political scientist from Australian National University. She's been with us before, and we're uh, delighted to have her back. She's going to uh, chat to us about uh, the budget and different sort of political machinations that are happening in our nation. So, good evening, Maria.
2: Hello, everyone. Hi. Thanks for having me back.
1: Hi, Maria. Uh, How are you doing? Delight. Yeah. So, uh, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Maria. As I said, uh, we just want to have a bit of a chat and sort of, Get your uh, head around, um, because our head's not uh, good enough to be around. Um, some of these uh, questions that, uh, that lots of people are asking, and there's one that I've sort of heard come up quite a few times, and it's uh, when you're talking about booby trapping a budget. What does that actually mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that's a that's a that's a technical term. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> um, it's a metaphor. Um, so essentially the idea of bibbing trapping the budget uh, i guess at its most basic level involves um making promises or saying that your government is going to deliver stuff before an election that you actually don't know how you're going to fund after the election that would be the most basic concept so ways that that could occur is for example you could um you could promise to fund something for like a year but not after that and it's a continuing program you could um you could sort of um that's the most common kind of way or or another way is simply to claim that you have funded something but you actually um don't have a long-term sustainable path for funding for that so a lot of argy bargy was around the ndis around whether or not labor had truly funded that commitment and that claim um and then a lot of um claims were made around the coalition um uh, effectively making wild promises i think in the 2019 and 2022 elections this this claim was thrown around that they they made sort of quite exorbitant spending uh promises um essentially with the calculus that if they got elected well it was a good problem to have but they thought they were going to lose and so it would now be the new government's problem to kind of solve, particularly when they're sort of desirable, desirable goods that people, people would like. So usually it's, it's essentially making a promise that you're not going to fund or you don't know how to fund or you haven't actually funded or the, the money isn't actually there or it's structurally, um, dependent on like, uh, the sort of, uh, uh, like the sort of minerals resource cycle, which is sort of saved Australia's bacon, um, in terms of its sort of budget surpluses now for, for many, for many, like, I mean, you know, like good 20 years, we've, we've yeah, sort of depended right. on these sort of super profit surpluses to, to get us out of yep. trouble or to, to really yeah. boost our coffers.
1: So, so I the, suppose that also in, includes, um, sort of a pipeline of funds that just miraculously ends when the other government sort of, um, takes, takes hold, say within five to six months or something.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, um, Or like promises, you know, things that are supposed to start in two years and no one really knows how that's going to be paid for. Like, I guess that's the other, the other way that you can kind of, um, uh, do that. Yeah. Losing governments tend to do this. um, Yeah. And either way, it never
0: looks good for either side, does it?
2: (laughs) No, no, no. It certainly (laughs) erodes, it erodes trust, right? You know, Mm. um, because I think voters, um, well i think politicians train voters to take these promises very seriously in part because of the way they structure the promise um, but also the way they attack each other for breaking the promise mm. and because of the way they actually talk about policy problems and issues so they 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 are sort of it's sort of like they're mining out the the ground from underneath themselves and they have less and less capacity to maneuver. And the only way to build more ground, um, you know, is like, to, I guess, you know, I'm thinking about those Chinese islands in the sea or reclaimed land or whatever yeah. is, yeah. is literally yeah. to go out there and pour concrete. And, and in, in a political sense, that would be explaining to the electorate, um, why we need to reform the tax system or why we need to actually increase taxes or redistribute or th- think about how we tax income versus wealth, for example, mm. which is complex and yeah. has uh, losers, has losers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, I, <laughs> and I guess speaking of interest rates, um, is the RBA seems to only ever raise the interest rates as their main purpose or reason to, to control inflation. Um, yeah. Do you think, do you think that's a wise thing to do or are there any other things, um, that they could be doing? Do you think? I know you're not an expert in. Economy, yeah.
2: But... So, so yeah, no. So I'm, I'm not an economist and, um, but this is what I do know about it. And I'm sure some of your listeners will enjoy pointing out where I'm wrong. So. Enjoy that, guys. So, um, I, am looking forward to it. Um, um, you know where to find me. But, so, so from what I understand, um, blurstar <clears> at gmail.com.
1: Um, exactly.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so from, from, from what I understand, um, like, hist- in the past, uh, before, before the, the independence of the Reserve Bank was established in the late 80s, early 90s, um, governments were effectively in charge of setting interest rates. And so governments had, um, sort of all the kind of, big monetary fiscal levers that they could pull, right? And there weren't really that many of them, right? Like you can spend more money, you can increase interest rates. Increasing interest rates obviously constrains how much money people have to spend on discretionary goods. That's why they're, you know, raising interest rates. Australia is a little bit well I mean
0: what, physically? yeah physically? well it's basically
2: it's sort of I mean if you've got a mortgage on a variable rate every time the interest rate goes up you know and and so you know your mortgage goes up by 20 bucks a week or a month for example's sake well that's 20 bucks you can't spend on buying pizzas or oh. um shoes um yeah. or whatever you know which are or shoe pizzas. Shoe pizzas, exactly. I mean, yes. yeah, that's right. I mean, Domino's has a new shoe pizza out and I've been dying <laughs> to try it. Uh, but, but the RBA do. keeps they raising my do. interest rates and I just don't have the dollary dues to spend on shoe pizza.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, you know, chip Charles have be really happy. Um, yes, very true. Very true. So, so, yeah, so, and so, and, and you can kind of, I'm sure you can imagine why leaving politicians in charge of the decision to raise interest rates might lead to some problems, right? Mm. Like we just we started by talking about booby trapping and, um, yes. and, and and the sort of desperation that is involved in that practice. You know, um, confident governments that think they're going to win the next term don't don't tend to booby trap their own budgets because they no. they know they have to clean up that mess, right? It's 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 the act of a more more desperate group of people. Uh, it's like promising. Um, Sometimes we make promises to our children that we that we regret, like, yeah, you can have a chocolate <laughs> uh, just before bed. <laughs> so you'll yeah, just go and really have this used bath. <laughs> exactly, yes. exactly. Uh, that's a um, great
0: idea.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so what used to happen is was we used to have this sort of stop go economic cycle, right? Whereas the government would basically um stimulate the economy, especially because that was like the Keynesian era and so governments were more involved in uh, stimulating the economy, uh, to sort of smooth out, um, demand and supply kind of curves and to keep, uh, unemployment at 2%, which was basically official government policy. It was supposed to be a full gov- full employment policy. So they basically pour petrol and then everything would get really hot and like, oh no, oh dear. And then they'd get the fire extinguisher out and like really crank up the interest rates. And, and it would kind of go like this. And you, you can kind of see it in the, um, any kind of, um, economic, uh, like trajectory kind of, um, and so, Eventually, a, a debate or a discourse kind of arose that perhaps politicians shouldn't be in charge of this set of decisions because the the incentives are too alluring for politicians yes. to make yes, short term decisions, yep. Yep. right? Yep. So, and and so yeah, so the reason why interest rates um, kind of works because they take away money from from people, and in Australia in particular, because. Most people, or a lot of people are on these variable rates rather oh. than what kind of happens in the United States or in other jurisdictions where you, you basically buy a mortgage for 30 years at a fixed rate and that's the rate. So if you are, right? a, yeah, yes, that's, that's actually my most common. So if you were unlucky enough to buy a, a house in like 1977, you would be sort of stuck with a pretty high. Interest rate for um, 30 years because inflation was really high in the seventies. Okay. No, and no, it's no, hard to true. take that's inflation true. out of the, out of the system. I mean, I think some yeah. of the sort of hyperventilating around where we're going to have another sort of seventies style inflationary crisis was yeah. quite overblown in a way. Cause many of the sort of structures that allowed that to kind of happen yeah, don't exist not the same
0: anymore. Now.
2: Yeah, no, you know, we don't have like, um, like we have laws against, um, like secondary boycotts in effect, like, you know, like the metal workers strike so the bus drivers can get a yeah. pay rise. Uh, we don't have, like, uniform, um, pay, uh, that like flows through and washes through the entire IR system. You know that's kind of yeah. what enterprise bargaining was supposed to do. Mm, I mean, we, we only don't have see the these
1: industry of any description. Yeah, so. Well,
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, so such as and how they're kind of uh, set uh, is quite different. We only see those flow throughs really happen with the minimum wage, and yeah. um, and you know, and these are people at the bottom of they're not buying shoe pizza. They're they're paying no. their bills. They're buying. They're just they're buying regular food yeah. um you know what i mean like uh you know they're not they're not they're not um that's not the problem. Surviving. Hmm. yeah yeah and and but I, and I, i'm sure some of this is not quite accurate but essentially it, it seems like the Covid has had a really distortionary effect because I think um, a lot of people who have potentially low debt and high amounts of assets were able to accumulate and save a lot of money and mm-hmm. so they're yeah. still spending, you know, whereas like people who took on large mortgages tend to be in the category of people who also have like other high fixed costs like childcare because of that stage of their life. So these, these interest rates really like if you're, if you're in that segment of the population really really hurt because they're really, you know, meaningfully taking away a lot of um, discretionary spending. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just really well, annoying how the consumers get penalised whereas the big corporations continue making their billions yeah, of profits and nothing flows down to us. <laughs> so where's the political will to make any difference or change?
2: <laughs> yeah, So, so, I mean, I think one mechanism to tackle that would be to have – Like a corporate super profit tax. So, I mean, if you, I think, I think a standard profit is like two to three percent. That's like quite modest. Like I think that's what Woolworths would make, right? You Mm. know, on food. Whereas, like
1: you know, surely wash your mouth out, uh, (laughs) Marie. Whereas, (laughs) I think the banks.
2: I think they consistently make over like. 10%, 10%, right? And I don't mm. know where, I'm not an economist, so I don't know where a super profit would, would hit in, but I imagine like if a standard profit is 3%, 10% is like, that's, that's a, that's practically an order of magnitude greater, right? So like, that's a lot. Actually not an order of magnitude greater, but it's, it's a lot. It's three times as much or, or more. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, um,
1: that's true. That would, that would work out math, mathematically. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, so, um, you know, and that, that might be some way to kind of capture that, that windfall, um, whether or not that would impact inflation, I don't know. My, my economics, such as it is, is not strong enough to make that kind of, um, link. But the bank basically, like, if you recall during the, um, the Morrison era, like, they were basically, like, very politely trying to tell the federal government to change its wage suppression policy settings, right? Which seemed mm. to have multiple, um, factors, and uh, part that was to do to, with, in part that was to do with the fact that during the mining boom, our wages went up really high, like really quickly, without like the requisite productivity gain to go with that, right. because yeah. everyone was buying our basically did nothing of like of like in productivity terms to earn that pay rise. It was because our commodities were worth a lot, and so we all got a wage increase. If you happen to be earning money, then and wasn't stupidly doing a PhD, which is a which has no attendant pay rise. Um, and um, basically, just doing that. Um, so, um, I wasn't affected
1: by it. Um. <laughs> well,
2: there you go. So, um, so if you were if you were not a fool, like some people in this chat and, and got a pay rise. Um it's quite likely there wasn't a, a, a productivity gain to go with that. And so um in essence what has sort of been happening is that's one of the reasons why wages were wasn't growing, right? But it was also like the 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 the, the Abbott morrison turnbull governments like had had deliberate policy settings to see that those two measures actually kind of um equalize and some of the things that have happened in immigration whether or not by design or just simply by the accretion of changing like this rule and then that rule and this rule and this rule has sort of created a sort of this class of temporary migrants which does suppress wages growth wages um, yeah yeah so um but philip lowe was essentially saying like you guys need to actually look at this like wages are too low that it's 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 actually a problem for the economy. We're getting, I think, deinflationary effects, right, you know, yeah. as before yeah. COVID. And and he was very politely uh, basically saying this every time he had a press conference. And the government was very politely not listening to him. So, um, yes, so so that kind of conversation went nowhere. And I do wonder whether or not these changes to the like board structure that's, that's going to happen actually changes that. Nexus, like, I think it will create more avenues for debate, but ah, be careful what you wish for. Like, they mm-hmm. want the governor to chat on the economy and they want some of this expert macroeconomic eh, economists to chat about the economy. I think this will be good for consumers and for the public and for journalists and we'll probably all have like, like the 1980s, like a, a seminar in economics and like, uh, every, it lift all boats and we'll all learn a little bit more about economics. I don't know if a government is actually going to like this but that's not my problem so <laughs>
1: yeah no no but that, that's right though i mean it's like when john howard explained what a balanced budget was and decided that everyone um should feel that australia should have one you know before that we were running deficits and you know stimulus uh, when when it's needed yeah. what you need to do for the economy True. what it needs to happen so you are correct uh, from that perspective but
2: Did you know a single blood donation could save up to three lives? Be the lifeblood of Australia. Join us and search Give Blood to book your donation with Australian Red Cross Lifeblood today. Give life. Give blood.
0: No, um, what else? Yeah, so the other thing we had was um, sort of going on a tangent away from the budget a little bit. Relation, in relation to voice to Parliament, so one of the things I've not understood is um, the opposition wants to re- remove the word executive from from the uh, the wording that is being proposed for the referendum. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Because I still haven't found a, a a good explanation of of that and how that might impact future decisions or legislation that might come around
2: yeah okay okay that's a good question so the most so the executive is i think most people actually agree what the executive is and and it could even point to it right um but technically it can have a quite a broad meaning so the executive is typically the cabinet right the bit of government Mm -hmm. prime minister cabinet treasurer bit of government that is actually making the decisions and then they basically tell the bureaucracy what to do so they say the executive the prime minister wants a 10 billion dollar water fund and it's the bureaucracy's job to work out how to make that happen or to sort of say well prime minister um that's actually not legal or, or mm. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, you can't actually do this school funding model that you'd like to do because all school funding has to go through Section 96 of the Constitution. That is correct. It does have to. And so what you want to do is actually against the Constitution. So um, perhaps your colleagues the executive can come up with a new a new definition so so you can kind of see how because the executive tells the bureaucracy what to do some people sort of view the executive as a very expansive concept that involves the cabinet and the prime minister but also the bureaucracy and potentially other statutory um, authorities that make decisions like the rba but i think most people would accept that the that the the executive is really the, the prime minister and the cabinet and that it has this capacity to tell other branches of government that are effectively not necessarily directly linked to like parliament um, what to do. And so I do think that the coalition's question around the executive and that example that was given about the RBA is a bit cheeky. And I don't think I don't think of, I don't think I don't think from a jurisdiction prudence perspective, the court would likely interpret it that way. I guess more to the point is that the government's sort of response to that was to actually harden up the wording of the the question to essentially say the parliament is in charge of exactly what the voice will do, uh, how it will function and how it will be brought about to be... Like to be brought about into power, so so I mean, what that actually means is it is actually entirely possible that um, a government of bad faith could say, "We're going to have this office called the Voice, and I'm going to put a telephone." and I'm going to put a receptionist in there, and that's the voice. You know, yeah. that's oh, entirely kidding. possible. Yes, because it, if they oh. can get it through Parliament, right? If Parliament yeah, approves right. that, that's the voice, right? You know, because essentially what this condition is saying is that it's it's a political process and a political decision that Parliament is entirely in charge of what the voice will look like, which is sort of why I don't think we need to be worrying about the voice demanding the RBA do, do this. stuff, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know, it's in no one's interest for the voice to take on that level of, I suppose, expansive power that could therefore bring its credibility and legitimacy into question. Mm. You know, so I do think it was an extreme example. You know, um, perhaps for rhetorical purposes or. Perhaps for blatantly political purposes. I don't know. I don't live in the mind of. I think Julian Lisa put the question forward, and it, and it and I think I think it I think it did provide a useful corrective, which was that I guess the government has now made it far more explicit mm. that the voice, as you know, in in whatever way it will be constituted, will be a political decision, which was always the intent, and that is also fundamentally why the government has not actually wanted to be drawn into this debate about the detail, because it's ultimately about a principle, um, you know, which is do you think that the constitution should basically demand or, or, like, you know, require that the parliament must provide some provision for a voice, which is a political solution. Like if you look at the, like, I mean, the prime minister's office is not mentioned in the constitution, but we have one, right? The prime minister isn't mentioned in the constitution and neither are political parties, but we have them, right? These are, you know, these are, these are, We don't stipulate exactly what the High Court should do. Like we just have to have one, right? So these are all kinds of examples of why you want to have these in-principle principles, yes, principles in your constitution, right? Like you've got to have these things, but you don't necessarily want to codify them too much because that allows them to, to evolve over time, you know? So if the voice is successful theoretically that should mean that over time its functions should change Mm. because if it's actually successful in being able to um you know improve the lives of indigenous peoples they might not need the voice to function in the way that it needs to function right now
0: yeah because in 10 years time Mm. it might need some tweaking in a positive negative way or pull back some powers or give extra powers yeah
1: It seems absolutely ridiculous to me that you would want to completely detail how The Voice is going to work in 2023. As you quite Mm. rightly say, you don't know what's going to happen within the next five years, what's going to change what in the economy, not just the economy so much, but like socialisation of getting uh, sort of Indigenous voices more and more into government and parliament, et cetera. So how does that affect and and how can we uh, improve sort of the lives of those people going forward? But what I did want to ask about, um, hmm. the opposition, I think, are at around about 20%, I think, in the polls at the moment, pretty, pretty low. So... Do you think, uh, Maria, that maybe it's a de- just a really just a delaying tactic so that people realize we actually still have an opposition? Is that yeah.
2: <laughs> the voice. You mean there are tactics on the voice?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Um, um that's I I don't know. I mean, from a yeah, okay, This is a this is a good question. So like if you think about the actual actors involved, it's it's it 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 does look more rational from that perspective right rather than from the median voter who is odds on weakly supportive of the voice right like that's sort of what the polls are saying you know but if you actually kind of look at who is actually sitting in the coalition party room now and the concentration of where they're coming like you know Uh, coming from like not just not just geographically but actually like like in terms of if you think about the narrow selection pool of people that are like interested in politics, the narrower yeah. selection pool of people who join a party, and then the narrower group again who say, "I'm going to run for office," you can, you know, and 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 that's the sort of the that's the kind of that that's a very small narrow constituency.
0: Okay. I
2: can sort of th- in that in those circles, this position makes more sense and appears more rational because, I mean, from, I mean, I don't, I don't know if like Dutton is um, being pragmatic in his position on the voice or if he deeply feels his position on the voice or if he's, if it's, if, if it's conveniently that his ideological position and his pragmatic view align right? But from a practical perspective, we just think about it from from a pragmatic perspective, from his perspective, you know, um, he's in the fortunate position that he doesn't really have a meaningful alternative challenger. But also this position seems to suit of the vast majority of his party room. He, you know, challenged Malcolm Turnbull, who is, I guess, the avatar of the teal voter group mm. and the moderates because he was too left, basically. Yeah. So it's it's entirely conceivable that it also so aligns it. with his with Dutton's ideological views. And, I mean, there are a few things to suggest that that is the case. I mean, the way that the, they keep asking for, you know, the detail, like most of the detail was produced by their own government like you know they were in office oh, for 9 yeah. years their government led this process working with the basically the indigenous expert panel you know Marcy Langton Noel Pearson you know who who developed the voice and its structure you know and if you actually look at the proposal the counter proposal from the coalition it's almost the same proposal so um, it's entirely possible that Dutton was simply never interested in this subject and whenever it was raised in cabinet his eyes might have just glazed over and he's just simply not across the detail, um, and so it's sort of ignorance, or or it's simply that they know that asking for the detail is a really effective and disingenuous, in this case, given the history of the mm. policy's development, tactic to sow doubt in 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 voters' yeah. um, minds.
1: Do you think that there is any chance that maybe the R word comes into um...
2: oh a recession?
1: No, not that R word. Okay. So the, the Republic. No, the other R word. No. Uh, we're talking about racism. Do. Yes, that R word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I th-
2: I I, um, I mean, I think big... I think it's I mean, I think the reason why Aboriginal people are asking for this voice is because racism is clearly affecting their material life chances. And I don't think it's an extreme leap of logic to suggest that that might be impacting some of the politics underpinning that um, yeah. exactly in what ways and and, and what rationales. Like um, I confess I have not followed this debate closely enough to really like and carefully like tease, tease out these things. But, I mean, I, I did find some of the Nationals' arguments or these arguments around like a real voice, a Canberra voice. Like I just, some of that is just classic elite, uh, don't trust mm-hmm. elites. Don't trust Canberra, right? Yeah. You know, but is, uh, these claims around representation, I think, are kind of really interesting and complex. And I think, I think, I think you have to very carefully kind of disentangle them. Like, and it does make me kind of uncomfortable the way some white politicians are very happily using the descent of Aboriginal Australians as a reason to oppose these because i don't actually think that the reasons why some aboriginal people or indigenous people or non just non-white people might be against the voice are the same reasons that are potentially being put forward by some of the white no advocates and i find that a lighting of those arguments like i think that's that's really on like <laughs> at the, the most basic level like deeply unhelpful and and, and, and at times I imagine just might slide into you know, something that we might all agree um, to be kind of racist. So, mm. I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're very good in this country at, at talking about race and, and that's in part to do with the way our migration program is operated, you know, like we had this White Australia policy and then we got rid of the White Australia policy, but in essence we still spent a long time bringing in um, essentially white people. And then we had like a whole conversation around that, like that was a big deal and, mm. and so we tend to talk about, Ethnicity a lot in, in this country rather than like, um, you know, so you're Chinese Australian, you're Romanian Australian, you're Italian Australian. I mean, do you remember when John Howard didn't like that? I don't like it when people yes. say they're Italian Australian. Ooh. Can't yes. they just be Australian? You know, yes. which, which is, I think, I think that's a really like, that's a, such an interesting, like, um, sort of says like how far we've kind of come. But then, you know, people, people are not comfortable about talking about black Australia or mm. Asian Australians, you know, um, like the discourse here is and, 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 and so f- therefore like debates around Black Lives Matter or incarceration, right, which, has, yeah. which, which, which is centred on the fact that racial difference structures people's lives and produces terrible outcomes for some people at the expense of others. Yeah, we're not, we're, we seem to only be starting to be able to develop the language to have this debate, which I think is much more progressed in places like the UK, um, which I think is a bit more of an analogous comparison for us than say the united states which has you know it's history of slavery and it's i mean you know african americans make up around i think it's 10 or 12 percent of the population which um and they have a very special claim on the state you know and that's a very different debate to the you know debate around indigenous affairs in the united states which very much is sort of in the shadow of that debate whereas and you know in the uk like they had all of that post-commonwealth immigration in the 50s and 60s from the caribbean so you know their conversation around immigration and race is structured around race whereas ours has been structured around ethnicity which is more benign food dancing you know um, Mm. and and less about power structures right so Yeah. yeah
0: interesting
1: as usual, absolute pleasure having you on the show, Maria. We always digress um, out of the structure of what we're going to talk about, but it's a fantastic and fascinating conversation, so there's no love lost there whatsoever. It's just, I pleasure. Uh, I like it's your
2: fault for not interrupting more. <laughs> <laughs> I we, just, we just love hearing
0: your you. insight. Yeah, just love hearing your Is insights. It? That's it.
1: I know know it's different when you're on with um, Mark. I get that because uh, lots of interruptions and so therefore you're not able to finish your thought. I get that. It's probably
2: a blessing. Like, let's face
1: it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But no, absolutely. Thank you so much and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Fantastic. Thank you. you. All right. See you, Thanks.
0: All right. Take care.
1: The new Blurt is brought to you by Wency and Kickstarter, usually on a Tuesday evening. You can catch us on all the socials, as they say, the Blurt YouTube channel. We have a Twitter Blurt handle, and there is a Blurt Star Facebook page as well. So, if you're interested in getting getting in touch, it's blurtstar at gmail.com and we will get back to you as soon as we can if you've got any questions. Until next week, there'll be another feed coming at you. Has been a Get Off The Glass production. It's brought to you by Wincy and Gester.